It's inside speaking voice. Hello, Gabe. I want a beard as strong as yours one day. You just gotta give it eight years. How much older than you am I? You're 45. (laughs) And I'm 15 this year. (laughs) The age is real. You're seven years older than me, I think. When's your birthday again? It's in April. I've been looking for a year to try to find a birthday gift for you because... Don't do that. Well, you don't want me to. So I was like, if I get him something really good and like super small, he probably wouldn't care. But I have found nothing. So you're... I'm a hard man to shop you're for. You're still in luck. I, I, found know. A, I found a couple things, but they were like... You could give me some socks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little inside joke. By your mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because you gave me some socks and then my, both my parents gave me socks and I was like, I'm good for the rest <laughs> of my life on socks. <laughs> I guess I don't need socks anymore. Yeah, holidays are... Uh, this podcast is in its twilight years. Yeah. <laughs> it took one year. We need to take this podcast out to pasture and uh, put it down. Well, this would be the movie to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't agree, but it's fine. Quick opening statement. We're back in award season. Or we have been, sort of. Más or menos. So this is, I think, the only other film, actually a couple of them, that are in awards contention we've talked about. I saw, at least for the Globes, this film, which we'll be talking about today, beat out Mank and Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Now we like to talk about awards momentum. (laughs) So this film today that won the Golden Globe Best Picture... Yep. Which might be the front runner for... Which often determines what will go to the Academy Awards. It's a bit of a precursor. One best film and best director. Anyway, we're doing this movie called Nomadland. 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 Starring Francis McDormand as the titular nomad. <laughs> yeah, the titular nomad. That is factual. And it's directed by this woman named Chloe Zhao. Mm-hmm. She's, she... a, she's a really good director. Yeah, she made The Writer a couple years ago, which neither Steven and I have seen yet um, and are probably not want to see. (laughs) I might watch it. Uh, Everybody who's seen The Writer says it's phenomenal. And what Chloe Zhao usually does with her films, at least the three she's made so far, is she uses mostly regular people, people that aren't actors but have incredible stories to tell. This film was a little unusual because it had a Francis McDormand as the lead, and I think David Strathern. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name. But he was the only other actor that I think I recognized in the film. Otherwise, all the nomads and the people in the film were just people, which is pretty cool. Because she gets some great performances out of them, which is probably, you know, mostly to her credit as the director. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. That that part is really cool. And they were... Beautifully directed film. Yeah, in every way. Beautifully directed. Let's start with the specs. Because this will probably, whenever the Oscars are announced, it will probably be nominated for Best Picture. So we're we're doing it now. Also, it was hailed to be a really good film. So we decided to watch it. So we're going to do the specs like we used to for Oscar contenders. And we we still do for some movies that we love. Even some movies that we hate. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine doing podcasts on a movie you didn't enjoy. I don't have to imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> what was the budget for this one, Steve? The budget was between four to six million. I think it probably is undetermined because of advertising. Oh. Promotional budget. Yeah, it seems like this movie was uh, probably not too expensive to shoot. I did read they shot it over the course of, I think, four months, about seven states. Uh, Chloe, Francis, and the team were just traveling around pretty much as you would imagine to all these places. Kind of shot like uh, monsters. Yeah. Similarly, which was was Gareth Edwards. Yep. Before he directed uh, Godzilla. But yeah, it's kind of a running gun crew, I would assume. 
even though the shots they were able to capture would make you think it was like the best team working in Hollywood. Yeah. Really natural lighting a lot, sort of like Revenant. The cinematographer's name is Joshua James Richards. He also did The Rider with Chloe Zhao. But this movie will probably put him a little bit more in the uh, category of doing more high-profile films. If he wants to. Yeah. Which it seems to be what it's been for Chloe Zhao, who went from The Rider and this film straight into uh, Eternals, right, for Marvel? Yeah, she directed a Marvel movie. I'm sure she was, like, sought out by the producers and Feige and... It's interesting because it's a Marvel movie that is that's supposed to launch an IP, it's supposed to launch a franchise using characters that we're unfamiliar with. And it was supposed to come out last year, obviously COVID, so it got delayed. Hopefully it comes out this year. Uh, so this year could be really good for Chloe. There's a lot of star power behind that movie. Yes, sir. No is. pun intended. And it was written by Chloe Zhao. And the film screenplay was adapted from a book written by Jessica Pruder. Yeah. Who is a journalist who wrote her, I guess you call it a novel, a few years ago, who actually lived, as Francis McDormand does in this film, uh, amongst the nomads, sort of, for a period of time. I think Francis McDormand's character, Fern, is an original character. But Jessica, I think, actually got to know a lot of the people they used as secondary characters in this film, like Swanky, for instance, and Linda May. And that's why she incorporated them into the film. I guess some of these people are more prominent members of a lot of these nomadic groups that are sort of going around. Really similar also to Into the Wild in that way. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the production design was also by the cinematographer, Joshua James Richards, and then it was also edited by Chloe herself, which is really cool. Yeah, the writing, directing, and the editing. She does the auteur thing, which is cool. Yeah. I'd probably call her an auteur. Yeah, that's th- why it will be interesting to see her Marvel film, to see how that looks and feels when it's all said and done. Marvel does that sometimes, right? With character. Oh, with, yeah. It's so strange because you have such a strong stylistic director. And I guess Marvel, especially with the smaller directors, they just probably do a lot of the heavy lifting for them. And then I guess just use their raw talent to bring out great performances. And Yeah. Because usually people refer to Marvel as this cabal sort of formulaic machine. Yeah, but it's interesting because everyone that's ever worked for Marvel has said it feels like you're working for an indie film because of how small of like a a, a tight-knit like family it makes you feel like you're a part of. So it's interesting that they keep producing blockbuster after blockbuster, but they still maintain sort of this family feeling of you're joining something that feels like an indie film. Everyone's having fun making these movies and so forth. So I think in that way, it might have been attractive to Chloe. They're a well-oiled machine. But also, (laughs) you don't speak ill of Marvel. You don't burn that bridge. Even if, I mean, because there's been... People, not to drop any names, that have not worked super well together. Anyway. Anyway, so... Uh, that's We watched Nomadland. Those are a lot of the specs, and there's been no grossing really because of COVID, and it basically just came on Hulu, and so people have been able to watch it for... Well, not for free, but as long as they pay for Hulu. <laughs> but So what did you think of this movie, Gabe? <laughs> you want me to start? <laughs> I liked it a lot. How come? Well... A lot of reasons, the more objective ones, I guess, are what you'd call the technicals. Like we said, the cinematography was fantastic the whole way through. They capture this sort of desolate quality of middle America that you don't get to see every day. That sort of romanticized the plains and the pastures of just so much open space out there. And a lot of other vistas too. Francis McDormand's character moves through like every biome and it always looks great from snow to desert to 
what might have been Yosemite at one point. I'm not sure where she was towards the end when she was in the forested areas, but the cinematography was great. We mentioned the performances were all very good, especially crediting all these people who aren't professional actors. They're just people, (laughs) just nomadic peoples. Uh, In fact, one anecdote I read was that I think his name was Bob. He was sort of the leader of one nomadic event out there in the desert. He was like one of the people who's just a regular person, and that's what he does. They hadn't really told Bob that she was an actress, and this was <laughs> this was part of the movie, when she's telling him about her late husband, Bo. And she tells him their story, and apparently Bob came up to her afterwards and was like, it means a lot to me that you told me that story, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And then she was like, well, actually... My husband's actually fine. This is just sort of the character I'm playing. Oh, wow. Not not to like pull a fast one on him, but... And a lot of the people said that Francis McDormand as Fern really blended quite seamlessly into these groups of people. Yeah. Like fit right in. Yeah. Just to take a minute to gush about Francis McDormand. Uh, I'm a big Francis McDormand fan, you know, from Coen Brothers films all the way through Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, I think was what it was called from a few years ago with Sam Rockwell. Kind of a similar character, actually, now that I think about it. But I think she's great. Frances McDormand was probably the perfect person to play this in my mind. This character who, just like the film, it's a story of grief and loss and exploring what that is, what it means to live with that and to move forward from that. That's kind of the theme of the film for me. So the technicals aside, uh, the film resonated with me in that way, the journey that she was on. In fact, even in the first 10 minutes of the film, watching Frances McDormand sort of go through the motions of her seasonal work, because she travels around doing different jobs to have a living. I was like, I've never empathized so hard with a character so fast, I think, in a film like this, because <laughs> she was like my spirit animal, the way she was just sort of, I don't know, over it, I guess. And obviously, I'm not a nomadic person, so there's a detachment there still, but there was a familiarity there for me. And this is a side of America that we really don't see very often is this sort of kind of destitute. You see a lot of inner city poverty in films and more caricaturesque examples of low-income people. But you never really see this side of it, which is sort of the people that just live by being on the move. They're not always homeless, but they are sometimes houseless, which is another thing they say in the film. Mm. And another thing is they're not always in this position for the same reason. There's a lot of people here because of financial hardship, and there's people here for medical reasons, because, you know, they only have so much time left to live and they've been sort of shaken awake by that existential quandary they found themselves in. Yeah, I was going to say one of the things we haven't said thus far is sort of the setup for the movie is that it takes place in 2011 after the sort of economic crash. And this woman in particular loses her job at a sheetrock factory. It was an entire town. Because the the factory and the entire town literally gets shut. Like the zip code disappears because of it. Yeah, a town called Empire in, I can't remember if it was Nebraska or something like that, but it was an actual town that was shut down in 2011 because of the... So all these people lose everything. Yeah, the whole town was shut down (laughs) and all these people were displaced because the town revolved around this sheetrock plant or whatever you would call it. Uh, And this was shortly after her husband died. And that's the other sort of linchpin, I guess, for the character of Fern is that her husband passed away shortly before her town was ended. And then so she has sort of lost everything that was tethering her to her to the earth. (laughs) So that's why she becomes a nomad in the first place. And she has people in the real world like her sister you meet in the film as well. 
where she's not here because she has to be. She's on this path because she wants to be. And that was one of the big questions for me watching the film is what is Fern's motivation for being here? What has caused her to be here? And that's sort of something you're wondering throughout the course of the film. And in the end, my mind is that Fern is both a restless person and someone who just, like I said, everything that else that had been keeping her rooted is gone now. So she just chooses to live this way. And this is what makes her happy, furthermore. It's I, it's funny because it gets kind of weird with pretension when you talk about as a society, you know, <laughs> we live in a society, to quote the Joker. But we do live in this yeah. society where everything is kind of cut out for you and you're kind of just a cog in the wheel, <laughs> not to kind of be a downer. And these are people that are just deciding to live their lives their own way now and live them to the fullest. It's funny, there's a lot of parallels in this film with the films we make here at the company. And I was thinking about that. Things like, you know, reconnecting to nature and reconnecting to the earth and with each other and with yourself. That we make here at the company that we work at. Yeah. Yeah. Not to name no. any names. Yeah, yeah. But there's this essence of dehumanization in modern civilized society. And this film shows you people that have rejected that. Like I said, for different reasons, but they found themselves here and this is, they're happy and they're joyful. Even if Frances McDormand's character is one of the more serious people in the film, mm-hmm. uh, because of her loss and her grief, mm-hmm. she keeps coming back to this path because it's it's how she's fulfilled. And mm-hmm. I don't know. That resonated with me. Yeah. The main thing that stuck out to me about this movie was that the story, the way it played out, sort of was as meandering as the title of the film would have you believe. So it's not only about a nomadic people or what it's like to be nomadic, but the story itself and the way that the movie plays in front of you also meanders sort of as much as the character does, as Fern does. That's basically one of the biggest things that I saw because it seemed at a lot of times from my perspective... I don't know, not as intentional as it could have been, but I think that was the point. And so I, it's hard to complain about it because it's called Nomadland and it's about being nomadic and really finding beauty in the things around you, in people around you, in the places, the world that they live in. It is an important distinction to say that it's not a film or a story that really glorifies no. homelessness because there is still a grim reality to yeah, totally. what has caused these people to be here, mm-hmm. whether it's financial destitution or physical or mental illness. Mm. Because like we explained, she's here because of what happened to her town. And there there are a lot of deeper notes you can extract from this film, I think, like it being a commentary on late-stage capitalism, that sort of thing. You mean the effects of late-stage capitalism? Yeah. For instance, one of my favorite parts of this film, I think we open and close in an Amazon warehouse. And you see just probably the biggest warehouse I've ever seen in my life. And especially in light of everything that's been coming out about Amazon in the last year amidst the coronavirus and the conditions that these people live in. Just in that one scene in the intro for Amazon, you see this culture of these people that are sort of on their hind legs socially and financially that are in this position because this is all that's left for them to do. Um, and a lot of this is temp work. They go in there for a season, and I think it was the winter season that she was working there. And it's the most hopeless thing I've ever seen. And it's in every way from what reflects that, not just the characters but and the story, but also like the camera work just showing you the desolation of this place. In my head, that's the word I keep coming back to because it's so 
I feel sad seeing it. Yeah, when we were watching it, Allie actually said out loud, she was like, wow, this looks terrible. It looks horrible. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a factory where you'd process, yeah. you know, like animals because yeah. that's what people are often in this, the stage that we're at, yeah. you know. True. My favorite was the ending, not to have any spoilers, but there's the part where, um, what you were describing where the leader of that group Bob uh, yeah he talks to her about her husband and she finally has a little bit of closure and then she goes back to what I kind of assumed was her house that she lost yeah in Empire and she like walks through it and then in the end she chooses to exit the back door and go back into nature again go back into essentially what is again choosing to be nomadic in that way and so I liked that ending. I thought that that was really cool. It really brought, I think, the rhyming into the movie where, you know, it started with her sort of not really choosing that path. And then in the end, she kind of maybe doesn't choose it, but she at least accepts the condition that she's in and then moves forward from that. Yeah, the ending was strange for me because right before that scene is a moment where she leaves the home of a close friend of hers. Yeah. The dude, Dave, played by David Strathern, who has found closure in his own way by coming back to his family and reinserting himself into their lives because they just had a child. So he's a grandfather now. Mm. And Dave invites Fern to live there with them Mm -hmm. because he clearly cares for her a lot, whether or not that's a romantic connection. Right. But she's not able to, just like we see with her sister and her family earlier on in the film, she's not able to find her place there. It's She doesn't have that sense of belonging. So she has this kind of poignant scene where she walks through the house and she's like just not able to connect to it. And yeah. she ends up leaving and has that conversation with Bob where she says a line, something along the lines of, that which is remembered lives or something. The idea is that amongst all this loss and grief that is part of the human story, the human condition, you keep... Shoot, what, there was another film actually I just watched recently. Oh, it was freaking WandaVision. Oh, the grief line? Yeah. That Vision says? Vision says to Wanda like a few episodes ago, because she's grieving over her brother. And, yeah. and Vision says, what is a grief but love persevering? Yeah. Or something like that. So that's literally the takeaway from that conversation Fern has with Bob towards the end of this film, because she is sort of carrying on this light or this flame for her late husband and their life together. And then in this conversation, she realizes that after having said what is remembered lives, she says, I may have spent too much time remembering. And she hasn't, I I was unclear on what that meant at first. And I think what it means now is that she was dwelling on the past for a long time and it was keeping her from moving forward. So it's interesting. She comes to that conclusion after she leaves this possible future she might've had with her friend Dave. But like you said, then she moves back through her hometown, which is now empty and sort of rotting away. Uh Uh-huh. And she enters her home from Empire one last time, and she leaves through the back door out towards another wide open expanse. Fern is someone who just has to have that open space and always has to be moving forward, which is why I could never really pin down her motivations until that moment. She's just someone that has to keep moving forward. She can't stay still, I think. And I think that was shown, like I said, throughout the meandering of place to place. And also the jobs that she would take showed her doing multiple different things for work. And she, even at one point she says, oh, I'm going to go back to Amazon. And she does. But when she goes back to Amazon, it shows her basically alone. Like none of the people that she knew from 
before when she was working at Amazon were beside her. The next time that she goes there, she's just there to do work and then she's alone the whole time. Yeah. So in a way there's some closure, but there's also that sort of rhyming aspect, like, like you said, where it's back sort of where it began. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, was the point of the film. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe hearkening to that age-old thing. That was of, the point. <laughs> you know, like they say, you know, it's about the journey, not the destination. So I enjoyed the film because all those things that you do, it's fun to watch these people just live their lives. I was telling Stephen earlier that cinema so often is about, or just storytelling, I guess, in general, is about, you know, major events in, in a line. Mm-hmm. But we don't usually dwell on those in-between moments, like right. like the little things that f- fill a regular person's life. Yeah. That's something I've been, I've been sort of wrestling with for a long time <laughs> because life is boring, you know, for the most part, compared to a movie. Can be. I mean, it can be. Yeah. And for many people, it is. And this film sort of shows you <laughs> that it's really just how you choose to approach those moments because they find joy and mm-hmm. companionship in the most strange or unusual places for the average person. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And this movie is made up of those in-between moments. Yeah, they're all like little vignettes of nomadic life Yeah, across a bunch of states. Also a nice little score by... Uh, Ludovico Ainati. A lot of piano and some strings. I think it accompanied the picture very well. It was nice. So that's Nomadland. <laughs> yeah. It's probably going to be nominated for Best Picture. I think if you watch the trailer and if it piques your interest, then you should watch it. Otherwise, just listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this might be a good time to say this movie's probably not for everybody. Or, no. or at least definitely not. you have to be in the right mood to watch it. That is true. Even, even the people that will enjoy it have to be... <laughs> prepared because <laughs> like we said it's unusual it can definitely be a struggle it was definitely a struggle for steven he was texting me while he was watching it just saying it's a struggle <laughs> that was his word i went from watching because there were two things i realized that were on hulu at the same time oh nomadland and sonic the hedgehog oh no <laughs> so i turned on sonic because i thought oh this is just brainless i'll just turn it on one of them is the height of cinema <laughs> <laughs> Sonic Sonic was super fun. Ben Schwartz is the voice and he's hilarious. Jim Carrey was And Jim in... Carrey is like back to his old shenanigans in Classic. this movie. And I haven't seen that in maybe 15, 20 years. So it was super fun to watch. Um, and then so I, I turned that off and then put on Nomadland and... Whiplash. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was hard. I'm actually really excited to see more from Chloe Zhao. But specifically this movie just didn't really do it for me um sonic was it did it for you 